0: morning. Lord, we pray that you would uh, create a burning in our soul, in our hearts uh, for you. God, we know that that does not come from ourselves. Holy Spirit, move in us, we pray, and take this time. In Jesus' name, we ask. Thank you that we can come to you, God, through your Son. Amen. Um, great to be here. It is so humbling, and I'm honored to be a part of ncf staff now as the youth director um, praise god uh, i love these students uh, i'm going to start off with a um, parable of jesus in luke 12 it says the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest and he thought to himself what shall i do i have no place to share my to store my crops Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This guy had it all, right? Blessed by God. Obviously, God was pleased with him because of his abundant crop and how well things were going for him in life. Wrong. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, and I think uh, I mean just merely living where we live in the land of plenty, uh, all of us all of us need to take this seriously. And so, how can we guard against all kinds of greed? Uh, Sermon on the Mount series we're continuing today. This passage this morning is Matthew six nineteen to twenty four, and it might help to get out a Bible Uh, because I'm going to be just going through verse by verse, not showing the whole passage at once. If you have your Bible out, uh, you'll be able to see the whole passage at once. Verse 19. Oh, it's page 811 in the Pew Bible. Bible. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moss and vermin or rust or worm destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Yeah, we have uh, two commands here do not store up, and store up. And what are we not storing up and storing up? We're storing up and not storing up treasures, which are uh, simply valuables, things that are precious to us, uh, wealth. Do not focus uh, storing up those things on earth. Uh, One observation in this verse is that treasure on on earth that we work so hard for uh, can be taken away. Uh, That's the emphasis here. I think of Proverbs 23:5 says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Uh, part of that Greek definition word of uh, steel in verse 20 is to take away by stealth, which means taken away in secret so as not to draw attention. Before we know it, it's gone. Our valuables, treasures, earthly treasures, will not last. Uh, and honestly, the problem here is not earthly treasures in and of themselves. It's when we focus on earthly treasures at the expense of heavenly treasure. Because God created uh, earthly things, physical things, even for our enjoyment, it says, in First Timothy 4:4. 4, 4. And Proverbs uh, talks about the wisdom of saving up money, for example. And so simply having money or possessions is not what's being talked about here. It's when, it's when they're taking the place of God in our life. It's when we're focused on them rather than God, which is uh, challenging because that means that it's not up to how much money we have or how many possessions we have. It's a heart, heart issue. It's not talking about those things, just simple having money and possessions. It's when we're going to money for security, for example, rather than God. Uh, It's when we're finding a sense of significance from our bank accounts or retirement uh, figures or status symbols rather than finding our significance in God. It's when we're gaining a sense of power and control over our lives Uh, thinking that we have that because of the money that we have, rather than acknowledging that God has all power over our lives and control and sovereignty. It's not in our hands. And one thing I like about these two verses, um, the first two verses, if you catch it in here, is that God is good. God is so good. He wants to bless us with treasures. And he knows we have a deep desire for that. Verse 19 and 20. And so he simply points us to the the, the right source of true treasure. The only source that will really satisfy this way that he's wired us to desire treasures. And that is with him and in heaven. Like he's so good. Verse 21 For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, Jesus is saying, make no mistake. If you're just living for this life, fighting for financial security at the expense of others, stingy, not helping others, using your wealth and possessions to just have a good time, meanwhile, most of the world is suffering because of not having enough, then that's where your heart is. It's with yourself. It's not with God it's not with others, it's with yourself. It doesn't matter if you go to church where your treasure is. In other words, what you treasure the most, that's where your heart is. It's not simply where your theology is. It's where your treasure is also. And I think one of the reasons Jesus is saying this is because we, in our sin, can disassociate these things. We can think, yeah, I treasure God the most, even when we treasure things on the earth the most. We can compartmentalize, uh, live in that self-deception, and that's what we have to watch out for. But Jesus says, no, if you treasure God most, it will show in how you use your earthly possessions and you know that Greek for uh, heart in verse 21, uh, it's the deepest, most central part of us, which includes our thoughts and our thoughts, thought life. And so I just changed it a little bit. It's for where your treasure is, there your thoughts will be also. And I just had this uh, thought that the more possessions you have, uh, the more they can consume your thoughts, right? repairs. Um, main, maintaining them, keeping them clean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You may be able to pay cash for something and think that you have it paid off, but you're wrong. It's not paid off. You'll have a lot more paying to do toward that purchase in the form of your thoughts, of your time, of your energy. And we have, So we have to be careful because our thoughts are so fickle, our hearts are so fickle, we can start straying from the Lord so easily. And we only have a certain number of thoughts we can think in any given day. And so it only makes sense that if we accrue more and more possessions, then more and more of that limited number of thoughts per day are going to have to go to those things, which inevitably means less thought Space for the Lord, his word, prayer, less time for relationships, outreach, etc. Uh, and then there's this verse 22 to 23 section that's kind of interesting. I'll read it. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. <clears throat> if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great Is that darkness? And at first glance, uh, this is somewhat confusing because a lamp in a room gives light to the room so that our eyes can see. But then, you know, this is saying our, our eye is the lamp. And so I read this that helped a little bit. It says, according to a physiology prevalent in Greco Roman antiquity, The eyes do not function by allowing light to come in, but by allowing the body's own light to go out. The eye is the conduit or source of the light that makes sight possible. Jesus' assertion, your eye is the lamp of your body, thus expresses a commonly held view, identifying the eyes as sources of light insofar as they allow the body's light to go forth. In other words, our behaviors... Uh, Or, for example, in this context, how we use our money is the overflow of our heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And once again, I think why Jesus is saying this is that we tend to think we can serve both God and other things, in this case, money. Jesus is very clear, though. He doesn't say you'll get distracted by the one from the other. He says you'll love the one and hate hate the other. And this is a very black and white way to put it because he's trying to teach a point and teach the seriousness of divided loyalty, um, because we usually don't treat it that seriously, especially if we're convinced that we are you know, half-serving God and half-struggling with something else. We don't treat that very seriously. We tend to think, you know, well, at least I'm half-serving God, right? But no. God is a jealous God. We see that in his word. One place is Exodus 20. Three, you shall have no other gods before me. And here's the thing about jealousy, though. There's a good jealousy and a bad jealousy. God the Father's jealousy doesn't stem from insecurity, like it does usually with people. God doesn't need us to worship him in order for him to have a sense of self-worth, for example, People, um, we struggle with that. God doesn't. I remember in high school getting so jealous uh, with my girlfriend before I knew Christ. If she was talking to another guy and I'd have that terrible feeling. I mean, it's, it's such an awful feeling. Jealousy. The jealousy born out of insecurity. It eats away at you from within. And that is man's jealousy. God's jealousy is more like this. It's like a father whose child is being enticed by someone that the father knows does not have good intentions for their child. And so the father is going to have a jealousy for their child, not out of personal insecurity, but out of compassion and concern, you know, concern for the well-being of their child. And that's what we see here. It's a selfless jealousy. God has compassion on us and concern. He doesn't want us enslaved to things that ultimately are not for our good. He doesn't want us to go to money or earthly wealth as our master. That's the language in this passage. And so I want to hit on that real quick. The primary analogy God is using here is a a relationship between a master and a slave. Not a child-father relationship or a bride-husband, but master and slave. And so here's the question. Would you rather be, who would you rather be, your master, God or personified money? Who would you rather have control over you, God or money? And I mean, I think a lot of people would say neither, you know, like, I want to be in control of myself Um, But that's a conversation for another time. We are slaves to whatever masters us in this life, and so we're all enslaved to something, actually. But in this case, God or money is highlighting this. And I'll mention a couple differences to 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 help us decide. God is gracious and forgiving. Money is exacting and unforgiving. Money disappears. God says he will never leave us or forsake us. Money can be stolen away. God says that no one can snatch us out of his hands. Money promises pleasure but leaves us feeling guilty and with regret. Money promises security in life. We easily start believing that until we encounter problems that are bigger and worse than than uh, money. Then we realize, yeah, okay, life isn't just about financial security and securing that. You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have health, for example, you can't enjoy the money you have at all. You realize that life isn't all about financial security. That lie gets exposed. And I think at death that lie gets exposed ultimately and finally with finality. God is a good master and so once again Jesus is saying this because we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can be good with God in heaven while we're focused on laying up treasure for ourselves on earth we can think subconsciously that we can serve two masters like it's okay or not that bad and so are we struggling with this that's the question this morning and I personally think that you know Jesus in this passage was addressing complete hypocrisy like people in that day that were claiming to know God but then they were just storing up treasure on earth complete hypocrisy where they actually didn't know God. And, and surely that is still applicable today. There are people like that, that this, that this needs to speak to. But I think this also can apply, this passage, to our growth as Christians and how we may struggle with this even though we know God. And so are we struggling with this? And, and here's a thought, hopefully not too confusing, uh, regarding the slave-master analogy Uh, If you are a slave of someone, then you acknowledge that you're not in control of you, like they are. And I think a lot of us would say, yeah, money doesn't control me. Money doesn't control me. But this is just what I thought about. When we blame money for our problems and our sin, especially our sin, you know, arguments with our spouse, for example, when we do this, we are basically saying that we're not in control of us. Money is in control of us. When we use financial stress to justify our sin, we're giving it control over us. We're saying, I have to sin because of our money issues. I had to fudge the books because money is tight and I'm providing for my family. Or it was, just, it was justified that I sort of cheated on my taxes because money is tight. Or I have to be dominated by worry all the time because we might not have enough money. Or I have to work all the time and ne- neglect relationships in my life because I need to provide for my family. Or I have to withhold giving to the poor or to the church because we might need the money for ourselves one day. Or it's justified when I argue with my spouse and lash out at them because of money. It's money, not my sin. It's money. That's why. And when we use money to justify our sin, we're basically basically giving it control over us. We're admitting to being its slave, and so we operate like my attitude has to reflect the state of my finances. I just can't help it. And we struggle with this. Uh, And what makes it even harder is we live in a world um, where we're bombarded daily with materialism, um, the almighty dollar. And yeah, we'll be tempted to start serving money till the day we die. Mostly because of that. We're living in a world that is so fearful and in a world that tries to trust in money. Jesus lays it out here in this passage, 19 to 24, like it's all or nothing, you know, either or, which is challenging, so challenging. You're either serving God or serving money. And I think he did this knowing that we as believers even will struggle with this back and forth like we do with most sin issues. I think he does this not expecting us to be perfect in this but to have a perfect standard, a perfect standard so that on an ongoing basis we'll have a continual need for a savior. It's a perfect standard not to convince us of our sin in order that we despair and always walk around defeated, but so that we would be continually exposed, our sin, our infidelity toward God, in order that we would absolutely run to Jesus ongoing and have joy because of his forgiveness on an ongoing basis. This serving God or serving money issue will be a temptation for every one of us till the day we die because of our sin nature. So continual self-examination, vigilance is needed. God is basically saying in these verses that you can't serve me and money because I'm going to call you to do things that seem contrary to seeing money as the end-all, be-all of life. I'm going to call you to give generously and not to keep your money just for yourself. I might call you to make a career change where you won't make as much money, but it will be where I call you. And your strengths that I've gifted you with will be utilized more In that job, it might make you stop. He might say, or he might be like, "I I might make you (laughs) to." Sorry, I might make you stop working so much, so that you spend more time with people in your life that have called you to invest in and love. I might call you to missions. You know, fill in the blank. Because God is a good master, we can be set free from being enslaved to money. Uh, as many of you know, uh, my wife and I worked with Campus for for Christ. It's a college Christian ministry for a number of years, and we both experienced a ton of life change. Uh, it was founded in 1951 by Bill and Vonette Bright. There, there's pictures up here. <clears throat> Bill and Vonette uh, could have gone down the, the road easily of you know, serving money and building a personal kingdom of earthly treasure. In 1951, when they began Campus Crusade, uh, Bill had a specialty food business in Hollywood. He was involved in two other business ventures. He was, um, Vonette was teaching in the Los Angeles school system. They were well on their way to being set. But instead, because of a heavy prompting by God, Uh, they gave it all up uh, because of an overwhelming burden to see the gospel go to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so he gave up his businesses, sold them. She quit teaching in order to reach college students and mobilize them to go to the world. Um, They gave up a wealthy, wealthy life and surrendered everything. Even at one point, Later in their career, they gave away their whole accrued retirement pension to start a school in Moscow to train and mobilize Russians for the Great Commission. Uh, there was a need, and he was trying to find donors, and he couldn't. And so he funded it all with every, every secu- with every earthly security that they had. have. They said, God, I give you my all. And the joy that you have when you do that May we not miss out on that joy by just holding so tightly onto these earthly, counterfeit securities. Heavenly treasure was way important than earthly treasure to Bill and Vanette, and they modeled it so well. In a book about the Brights, it says, people frequently asked Bill what they could pray for in his life, and his answer never changed. And and interestingly enough, Uh, You know, with this vision minded and as passionate as he was, his biggest prayer request wasn't that the world would be reached with crew or that crew would turn millions to Christ, although I'm sure those were some of his prayer requests. But his prayer request that he told people was this Pray that I never lose my first love. That was his number one prayer request. And I think it was such because he was tempted. We are all tempted to replace God, a good, good master, a good God, with things that ultimately will just enslave. And Bill Bright didn't lose his first love uh, lying on his deathbed in 2003. He penned his last book called The Journey Home, Finishing With Joy. And as he experienced the nearness of death, He was able to write with unswerving confidence this. He wrote, Four realities are more clear than ever. God is real. His promises are true. Life is an exciting, though brief, adventure. Brief. And heaven is our home. And he says that it's an exciting adventure because he gave it all to the Lord. And when you give it all to the Lord, it's exciting. Because you see the Lord provide in ways you would have never thought. And I want to live that way for the rest of my life. May we not foolishly come under the enslavement of earthly treasure. But instead remain in our first love and let him have authority over our treasure And by the way, you know, Bill and Vinette were provided for to the day they died, even though they gave it all. Let me pray. God, um, we long to be able to say these things or even say what Paul said, that at the end that we have fought the good fight of faith, we finished the race. Lord, help us to persevere. God, help us. You're so good, and and we exchange you for enslaving things all the time, and we confess that to you. We confess that to you this morning. And so even as we take communion, Lord, let it be a reminder that it's not up to us being perfect in loving you and being faithful to you, but it's about your Son breaking his body and shedding his blood for us. Thank you for providing full assurance of our salvation And so remind us of that this morning as we remember you in communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.